This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. And to my absolute horror, I see a man peering in the large sliding glass door. I can honestly say I have never been so scared in my life. I still wanted to seem unbothered, praying this wasn't what I thought it was. She grabbed me by the throat and by my hair and pushed me under the water again. Headphones recommended. Listener discretion advised. You're just moments away from true tales of terror that will leave you breathless. From Disturbed Media, I'm your host, Chad, and this is Disturbed. A big thanks to BetterHelp for supporting this episode of Disturbed. You can visit with an online counselor right from your home. Get 10% off your first month over at betterhelp.com slash truehorror and start living a better life today. Again, that's betterhelp.com slash truehorror. Welcome back in, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that brand new reimagined theme song. That comes courtesy of Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. So a big thanks to him for making that happen. And with that, let's get rolling. Our first experience comes to us from Reddit user Kristaboo14. And we get introduced to Mr. Jim. Performing this experience is Addison Peacock. When I was 14, I was asked to babysit my three younger cousins, aged eight, four, and one, in an extremely rural, mountainous part of Pennsylvania. My aunt and uncle had a wedding to go to, over an hour away, and wouldn't be back until very late. Their house was situated on a steep mountainside. Their back deck had a 15-foot drop onto a rocky hill below, leading down to a river. Their closest neighbors were about a half mile away. The closest main road was a mile away, and at night, there were no lights to be seen anywhere around them. Basically, it was in the middle of nowhere, and you would have to know where you're going to get there. You don't just accidentally end up there. My aunt and uncle left us with some pizza and their cell phone number next to their landline. This was in the early 2000s, and I didn't have a cell phone. But even if I did, I wouldn't get reception there anyway, and headed out. The baby was already asleep. The four-year-old wasn't feeling well and was quietly watching TV in the living room as he dozed off. And the eight-year-old was playing Guitar Hero with me up on the loft. The loft overlooked the living room to the left, where I could keep an eye on the four-year-old, and there was a huge window that overlooked the driveway to the right. This description of the driveway is an important detail to the story. The road that led to their house ran straight into their forked driveway. It was a dead-end road. The house was as far as you could go. Go to the left driveway, 
There's a large open carport, and that's where my aunt and uncle and everyone who's ever visited parked. The right driveway led down a very short but very steep hill to a large leveled out area and ended against the garage door that opened to the basement of the house. It was never used as a garage, but served as my uncle's man cave and where he spent most of his time. Right beside the garage door, a normal door with a window so you could see right in. But this driveway was exclusively used by the kids as a play area because it was the only flat yard-like area on the property and being on a mountainside, there isn't much room to safely play otherwise. No cars ever drove down there. Ever. There are too many toys and bikes in the way, and friends and family knew this. It was about 10 p.m., pitch black outside. No moon to illuminate the area either. My cousin and I were still playing Guitar Hero when headlights caught the corner of my eye. And not my aunt's minivan headlights. Huge truck headlights with those roof lights you often see on Jeeps or other off-road trucks. Not only that, the truck was going down the right driveway. The kids' play area. This was not my aunt and uncle. This was not anyone they knew. Panic and dread filled my body. I was a small teenage girl alone in an isolated house on a mountain at night with three children in my care. In a terrified voice, I asked my cousin, Who is that? Jake, do you know whose truck that is? And then he looked panicked. No, I've never seen that truck before, he replied. I quickly ushered him downstairs, still unsure what to do, but the two little ones were sleeping down there and I wanted to make sure they were safe. I checked on the baby and then grabbed the phone to call 911 and then I started to hear the metal garage door being shaken violently. No one ever opened that garage door. More panic fills me. I hear them try the door beside it, the metal doorknob jiggling. No one was actually knocking. It's not like they were checking to see if my uncle was down there. Plus, the lights were out. It was dark down there. They knew no one was down there. They were definitely breaking in. The door leading to the basement steps was right next to the phone, so I could hear all of this going on. I quickly turned the little lock on the doorknob just in case they did make it into the basement. My heart was practically jumping out of my chest. I'm talking to the 911 dispatcher as my eight-year-old cousin clings to my arm. The operator is calm and trying to calm me, but I knew it would be at least 30 minutes until a police officer could get up here, assuming they didn't get totally lost on this mountainside in the pitch dark. I just kept thinking, we're fucked. We are dead. This is how I die. The operator asked for the number my aunt and uncle left me so she could have another dispatcher call them to let them know the situation. I turned around to grab the paper with the number on it, and to my absolute horror, I see a man peering in the large sliding glass door. A huge, burly, what had to have been a six-foot-four man with long, scraggly red hair and a big, red, bushy beard. And what made it worse? He was grinning at me. Grinning in a way that still scares me to this day. Meanwhile, I had to have looked like a terrified deer in the headlights. I was shaking so hard I could barely hold the phone. There was a second man behind him I couldn't see as well. I have no idea what he looked like, but he was equally as tall, but a bit more lanky than the larger man at the sliding glass door. I screamed, oh God, they're here. And before the 911 operator can say anything, my eight-year-old cousin goes, Mr. Jim? His voice was very confused. It wasn't like my cousin was happy or even relieved to see him. I asked, 
you know who that is? But before my cousin could answer, I turned my attention to the man at the door. I'm on the phone with the police, I shouted. I'm grateful he didn't try that door, because I do not think it was locked. The man stared at me hard for a moment, eyebrows furrowed, like deciding what he wanted to do next. But then he just backed away into the darkness. What seemed like an eternity later, I saw the truck lights back out of the driveway and then back down the road until they disappeared. I was still scared shitless, and so was my cousin. He had only met that guy a few times, an acquaintance of his dad. It wasn't like it was a close family friend. And obviously, because again, he went down the wrong driveway. Visitors never go down that way. The 911 operator asked for a description of the man, then told me they had gotten in touch with my aunt and uncle, and they were on their way home. She stayed on the phone with me until a police officer showed up a bit later to make sure the men were gone, and they stayed with us until my aunt and uncle got home so they could ask them some questions. My uncle was furious. Not at me for calling them home early, but at this Mr. Jim guy. He muttered something like, I'm going to fuck him up. My aunt was mad at my uncle and told him to tell Jim to never come back again. I didn't know at the time, but my uncle had a drug problem. I don't know what Mr. Jim or his accomplice were doing, or what they would have done if I wasn't on the phone with the police, but that grin was not a friendly one. It was sinister. And again, he also had to have known my uncle was not there, because the basement was dark. He would have seen through the windowed basement door. He had also tried lifting the garage door, something not even my uncle did. He intended to break into the basement, that much is clear to me. There is no other explanation. I never did babysit for them again, and I don't think I ever even went back up there, because not long after, my aunt divorced my uncle and moved out. So, Mr. Jim, the grinning, burly mountain man who tried to break into the house where I was babysitting, let's not meet again. Special shout out to all of our newest Patreon supporters. Cheyenne Bown, Riley, Nicole Corette, Rosie Cheeks 89, Brianna Allegra, Michelle, Kimberly Mori, and Sean Bolden. Support the show and get your very own shout out, ad free listening, bonus episodes, and more for as little as $3 a month by joining our Patreon at disturbedpodcast.com slash support. Next up, Reddit user Jekka Fall recalls her near abduction while in Poland. And join me in welcoming our newest narrator to the show, Mary Anna Bradford. For my birthday in 2012, me and my ex-husband visited Krakow, Poland for a short break. My main interest was to visit Auschwitz and the Jewish quarter of the city and Schindler's factory, which is now a museum. We arrived just prior to Christmas markets opening, and I remember being disappointed that we wouldn't be able to experience this. We stayed in a very nice hotel. I won't divulge the name, but it was approximately 15 minutes walking distance from the main square and cloth market and had a beautiful balcony over the river and was very nice with lovely hospitable staff. I couldn't recommend this hotel highly enough. 
We flew in on a cheap budget flight around mid-afternoon, showered, changed, and got ready to explore. The weather was cold and dreary with some light drizzle, but more than okay to walk around the river into Krakow, main city. Krakow is an exceptionally beautiful city. I loved it. We had a good look at the cloth market, ate a meal of matzo balls and stew in the main square under blankets and heated lights, watched the famous clock tower, and even managed to visit the lovely shopping center with excellent shops, where I purchased a lovely cashmere coat from Zara and an equally lovely hat and scarf. Given it's our first night, we had a few drinks, which turned into a few more, and we ended our evening in a lovely bar beneath the city. Most bars appear to be underground in the catacombs, and I was overjoyed. As a smoker, we're usually social lepers, but we could still smoke cigarettes in this bar. Around 1am, we were tired and decided to head home to our comfy hotel. We made our way up the stairs from the bar to the street level, and a taxi ramp was right outside. We jumped in a taxi and let the driver know our hotel location. Unfortunately, the driver would only accept cash, so we explained we would need a cash point at some point along the five-minute route to the hotel. He seemed to understand and was fine with this. At this point, I need to explain, I had no mobile phone with me. It was back at our hotel. In those days, roaming had to be paid, so we decided we'd only take my ex-husband's phone. And it was 2012, so I think I had an old iPhone 3, and it was due for renewal. The five-minute journey was uneventful, and we arrived opposite our hotel, which was a type of dual carriageway with a petrol station with cash points opposite of the hotel entrance. My ex-husband signaled to the driver to pull in to use the cash point, and he got out of the taxi. As my ex-husband was at the cash point, this is where my nightmare began. As soon as dropping him off and seeing he was withdrawing money at the cash point, the driver locked all the doors and sped off. I was in the back seat with several shopping bags and had no idea what was going on. The taxi driver took the main dual carriageway out of the city and kept on speeding. Initially, I thought he was looking for a place to turn around to pick up my ex-husband. This wasn't the case. The taxi driver continued to speed until we were well out of the city limits. He spoke no English. I asked him if he wanted money. I showed him my empty bag and shopping bags and asked him what was going on. At this point, I was scared, but I assumed there was a misunderstanding. Once the taxi driver continued past the Krakow outskirts, I was terrified. The outskirts of Krakow are rural, no streetlights, just black, snow, and ice. The taxi driver shouted and shouted at me, but I couldn't understand a word. Eventually, he pushed me physically and forcefully with my head into the back seat and told me, I can only assume to shut the fuck up. He was then talking on his phone to a man. The journey carried on for 20 minutes until we came to what looked like an industrial estate. No houses, some streetlights, but the whole area was just warehouses and factories and fields. The taxi driver was still on his phone, sounding angry, then abruptly turned it off and stopped the car. By this point, I was petrified. I can honestly say I have never been so scared in my life. I was praying and begging that my life wouldn't end here at 34, the mother of five-year-old twins, and ending up dead in a lockup on an industrial estate as some sort of mutilated rape victim. For about 30 seconds, it was quiet, apart from my sobbing and begging. Then the taxi driver got out, came around the back car door, grabbed me, and threw me onto the side of the road. 
He then grabbed my shopping bags and hurled it at me, got back into the taxi and drove off. The relief never came as I was sure he was going to get other men to rape and harm me. I gathered myself up. It was probably minus eight in late November and snowing heavily. And I looked for some kind of a doorway, hedge, any kind of shelter, bearing in mind I was left on the outskirts of an industrial estate. I walked some meters away and found a gap in a hedge and sat down, pulled my coat and bags around me and cried my heart out. I have no idea how long I was there. Maybe an hour, maybe two. But the sky started to lighten and a few cars and vans came past me. I tried to flag some down, but it was no good. I sat back down. I was frozen. I can honestly say I think I was dying and I had no more energy left. All I know from then to my rescue is thanks to some lovely Polish people. Apparently at around 5 a.m., I was sprawled across the road hard shoulder and a brother and sister going to market with their cattle stopped and picked me up, dragged me into their truck and put a big cow poo stained jacket around me. I couldn't speak apparently. I was just trying to talk to my children and they found out my hotel location from a napkin in my bag. These wonderful people drove me 20 miles back to Krakow to my hotel where my ex-husband, police, hotel manager, and Polish equivalent of CID were all there in the process of setting up a command center. They dropped me off, still wearing the Pustain jacket. They were questioned and went back on their way to the market. I never got their names. I was swabbed, photographed, fingerprinted, etc., and got a stiff brandy from the bar. The following day, we visited Auschwitz-Birkenau, the main reason for the Krakow trip. That evening, we were taken by police to the taxi ramp where we got the taxi from to try and identify the driver, but he wasn't there. It was left with the Polish police, but dear God, I must have had someone looking after me that night. Up next, we hear from Reddit user Mickey Kelly, and it's at the gas station where her horror would be realized. Performing this experience is Aaron Lillis. I, 18 female, work at a gas station off of a highway. I usually work short shifts because I'm in college. I've only closed twice because I don't work the late shift, but I was covering for someone tonight. I was alone after 5 p.m. because my manager left and the garage closed. It was pretty boring tonight, besides the few conversationalists who came in and one guy who got surprisingly angry when I wouldn't give him my number. I'm wondering if he tried to get revenge tonight. At around 9.30 p.m., I noticed a car just sitting at the gas pump furthest away from the store. They weren't pumping gas and their car was still running. After a little while, I shut the outside lights off because it was near to closing time and I wanted them to leave, but they stayed there. I called my boyfriend because I felt uneasy. I wanted him to tell me I was being paranoid. I hoped they were just some kids smoking weed in their car or something. He kept me company on the phone as I counted the drawer. After I finished counting, I closed everything up and went to the back to put my paperwork away. In the back, I checked the cameras. Looking at the cameras, I could see just the corner of their car. It was as if they were strategically parked where I couldn't see their license plate, but I could still see they were out there. 
meaning they stayed there for over a half hour in complete darkness. I told my boyfriend I was getting freaked out and he told me just hurry up and get home and everything would be okay. Now at my gas station, I have to lock the front door from the outside, meaning I would have to stand in perfect view of the car with my back turned. This scared me, but I knew I had to do it if I wanted to leave. I have pepper spray, so I made sure I carried it in my hand just in case, and I went outside and tried locking the door as quickly as possible. I still hoped I was being paranoid. As my back was turned while I locked the door, I heard a car door close behind me and I felt my heart drop. It was like my worst fear came true. My hands began to shake as I fumbled with the lock. I was so scared he was coming up behind me. When I finally locked it, it felt like forever, but it was probably only a few seconds. I yanked my key out of the door and speed walked to my car. I still wanted to seem unbothered, praying this wasn't what I thought it was. Once I got in, I locked my car door and looked out the window. I saw a man in a baseball hat walking around in the dark. I was still on the phone with my boyfriend and I started freaking out, saying things like, oh my God, oh my God, he got out of his car, what do I do? My boyfriend told me to get out of there as fast as possible and I did just that. But as I started to back out of the parking lot, I saw the man get back in his car. As I started to drive away, the man in the car started to leave too. I knew this wasn't a coincidence. When I pulled out of our parking lot, I pulled out right in front of someone, probably scared them half to death, but I wanted to put a car in between me and the man. To my horror, the car ended up turning and my pursuer sped up to be right behind me. I couldn't doubt myself anymore. I knew this guy was following me. When I think back to it now, he wasn't being very subtle at all. I knew I couldn't go home because I did not want this creep knowing where I lived. At this point, my mom and my boyfriend were both on the phone and they told me to drive to the police station. I did just that. The man followed me all the way there. Once the police station turned into view though, the man's car sped up and flew past me. I have never felt so relieved in my life. I drove home as fast as possible, literally shaking as I began to process what just happened. I'd never been followed like that before. I couldn't help but think what could have happened if I took a few seconds longer to lock the door. Or even worse, if I went up to the car to ask them to leave before I closed. Once I got home, my little brother offered to give me one of his pocket knives. His sweetness made me feel better. I'm definitely going to call my manager in the morning to check the security footage. But to the creepy man who tried to follow me home, let's not meet again. These days, so many factors can lead to feeling stressed, tired, overwhelmed, and depressed. So it's more important than ever to evaluate your mental health and that's where BetterHelp comes in. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your very own licensed professional therapist. You can connect in a safe and private online environment, which makes it a lot more convenient than sitting in an uncomfortable waiting room. Seriously, your mental health is just as important as your physical health, so don't cheat yourself. Now, here's what I love. BetterHelp is actually more affordable than traditional offline counseling. And even with that, you can still get financial aid. The tools are all right there for a better you. The thing is, what's locally available to you might be limited, and BetterHelp offers a broad range of expertise. You can rest assured that anything you share is confidential, giving you peace of mind. You'll have access to professional counselors who specialize in things like depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, trauma, self-esteem, and so much more. So start living a happier life today. Get 10% off your first month at 
betterhelp.com slash truehorror. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. That's betterhelp.com slash truehorror for 10% off your first month. You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men. And the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth. And together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland News producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mahalovic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast, killer podcasts, and slow burn media production. Subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows. Now back to the show. And finally... Our title story coming to us from Reddit user Pojoyset Ravanchilet. Be careful who you talk back to. Performing this experience is Matt Bradford. This happened when I was still a child, so some of the details are pretty hazy. Like my exact age when this happened. Not far from where I lived as a child. There is a place where one of the local rivers cascades over an old weir, and it's a really beautiful spot to bathe and swim during the summer. The water upstream from the weir is nice and calm. The river has a lot of fish and lots of pretty flowers on the riverbanks. And there's even a small kiosk in a place where you can rent paddle boats. And if the weather is nice, there are usually a lot of people of all ages picnicking, sunbathing, swimming, fishing, and just hanging out. Families, couples, teenagers, seniors, everybody liked to go there. When I was a kid, my mom would also take me there pretty often, and it was always a lot of fun. Usually I wanted to play in the water for hours, and my mom would quickly retire to our picnic blanket and pick up a book. I could already swim fairly well by age six, but she still watched me closely when I was younger, so I would estimate that I was at least eight when this happened but not older than 11. It was a beautiful warm summer day at the river, and my mom was reading her book and letting me explore the area and go swimming on my own. As was normal on days like these, there were a lot of people, and especially a lot of teenagers up at the crest of the wear where most people entered the water. I'm afraid I don't remember the details of how it happened, but I sort of befriended one of the teenage girls there. She was there on her own, and since I was really young, I thought she was so mature and cool, basically just for being an older girl who was doing things on her own. No idea how old she really was, as everyone who was older than you at that age is just old. But looking back, I would guess between 14 and 16. She was really nice to me and seemed to really enjoy hanging out with me, 
and I got to feel like I had an older sister for a while, which was nice. We spent some time exploring the riverbanks, diving, watching fish, and chasing each other around. At one point, we ended up at a spot where the water was about chest high for my friend and neck high for me, close to a group of other teenage girls who were about the same age as my new friend. I noticed one of them seemed really reluctant to get into the water and complained that it was freezing. I was still a pretty loudmouth and brash child at the time, a far cry from how I am now, and also really proud of my clearly superior swimming skills. So I turned to my friend and said something pretty harmless about that girl being a big wuss or something like that. I wasn't loud, but she heard. Her head snapped up and she immediately jumped into the water and came at me shouting, What did you say? What did you say about me? I was freaked out right away because her reaction was so sudden and she seemed so enraged in a way that was way disproportionate to what I had said. I opened my mouth to defend myself somehow and, and maybe de-escalate, but before I even knew what was happening, she had grabbed me and pushed me underwater. I struggled for a moment and she let me come up again. I think I heard my friend protest in the background, but I was mostly concerned with this girl who still had a death grip on both of my shoulders. She stared at me with a look that made me really uncomfortable, like she was fighting with herself or trying to control herself. What did you say to me? She screamed at me. As scared as I was, I resented how helpless I felt and that I was being humiliated in front of this cool girl I had befriended, so I resolved not to show any weakness. You know this obnoxious thing some kids do when and someone tells them off and they just start giggling and, and laughing, like they're laughing at you because they don't want anyone to see that they feel bad? Well, I did that. I left right in her face. And right away, she forced me underwater again and held me down for quite a moment longer than the first time. When she let me come up again, she screamed right in my face. You think this is funny? You like that? You want to laugh at me, you little bitch? I was coughing up water by this point and drooling all over myself. But I didn't know what else to do or to say to make her stop and the only thought I had left in my head was that I couldn't show weakness. So I, I laughed at her again, and I, I may or may not have made another remark to the effect that, unlike her, I didn't mind a little water. I'm not sure anymore. What I distinctly remember, and will remember forever, is her eyes in that moment. It's hard to describe, but the closest I can get is by telling you that something seemed to leave her eyes. Some spark or whatever you want to call it that normal, sane people just have, flickered, and went out. It suddenly looked like her eyes were just two pieces of hard-painted glass stuck into her face, and there was nothing behind them. I would have apologized then and begged her to just leave me alone, but it was too late. She grabbed me by the throat and by my hair and pushed me under the water again. I struggled as hard as I could, swirling up mud from the riverbed, grabbing at pebbles, but it didn't help. I thought, surely, surely she'll let me up in a moment. She just wants to scare me real bad. But I was running out of air quickly, and, and her grip on my throat did not ease up even a little bit. I tried scratching her arm, but I was starting to lose any sense of where up or down was or what I was grabbing at. And when I opened my eyes, everything was just muddy brown and full of bubbles. I realized I was going to drown right here. I was actually being killed by this complete stranger while the sun was shining peacefully, and we were surrounded by happy families and Nobody realized what was happening. Grateful I don't fully remember what that felt like. When I try to think back at that moment, I just get this feeling of utter helplessness and loneliness. And then suddenly I was breathing air. 
I was completely disoriented, coughing and puking up water. And there was a lot of shouting around me. My friend was holding me above the water and shouting in the direction of the group of girls who were forcefully leading my attacker away, while she was screaming at me and my friend, while her friends were screaming at her. Just a lot of noise in general. And I have no recollection of what anyone was saying. I mean, I was busy enjoying air again. After I had calmed down somewhat, my new friend apologized for stepping in so late, saying she and the other girls took a moment to process what was actually happening before they started trying to pull my attacker off of me. It took all their efforts combined to get her to let me go. I was deeply, deeply shaken, because I was entirely sure she had attempted to murder me then and there. I just knew from the look in her eyes, but still trying to save face for my friend, I tried to laugh it off. I did a lousy job, because I was shivering all over and my voice was trembling. I don't know if my friend had realized at any point how serious the situation actually was, or if she thought she was just stopping some bullying. But whatever she thought, she bought me some ice cream and rented us a paddleboard to cheer me up. And we watched some birds, and I'm grateful to her for that. And, you know, for saving my life. But to be really honest, my day was kind of ruined. I never saw my attacker or the nice teenage girl again after that day, and I said nothing to my mom because I was so embarrassed about what had happened to me. But that and some other things that happened to me later cost me most of the confident attitude I had as a child, and I'm a very shy and cautious person nowadays. So, girl who was willing to murder children over some harmless teasing, let's never meet again. Please. Before we turn the lights out on this episode, let's take a listener voicemail from the horror hotline, 701-354-3667. Hi, how are you? My name is Chad. I was listening and said that you guys wanted a response, a listener response. I work at a brewery here in Baltimore, and I'm currently on the graveyard shift. You guys are keeping me going. Good voice. Good voice for all the stories told. That's a big criteria for me. All of the stories that are told are told with a real good voice. Um, No annoying voice of a child or nasally person or anything like that. And my name is Chad. Your name is Chad. That seems to work for me. I'm here doing the Lord's work, making beer overnight in Baltimore. Keep it up, guys. Thanks a lot. Chad in Baltimore, doing the Lord's work at the brewery. Thanks for calling in. And I may be biased, but I have to agree about our voice actors that perform these stories. They do an amazing job, and I'm ever grateful for their hard work. Thanks again for the message. Now, if you want your voice heard on the show, just leave your message on the hotline at 701-354-3667. Let me know where you're calling from, what you think of the show, or anything else you want to put out there. I'd love to get more listeners involved. If you like our show, please give us a five-star rating and review. Subscribe wherever you're listening right now so you never miss an episode. And help us grow by sharing the show with a friend or two. This episode was made possible by BetterHelp Online Counseling. Please support them. By doing so, you allow us to offer this show for free. Get 10% off your first month and support Disturbed by using our special link in the show notes. Musical score by Carl Casey at White Bat Audio. 
and co.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And stay safe out there, y'all.